Hello and welcome everybody. Today's September the 9th. Thank you all for joining us. Brent and I here joining you just to share some of the things that we're thinking about, discuss some of the latest ideas and content shared on AEI Premium. So Brent, I know you're getting ready for harvest, so always glad to chat with you. I want to get this started today and mention, I think this is something you and I talked a little bit about. Back in the summer, gasoline prices, actually, we had that gas price question for the Ag Forecast Network, and we put the market 525 per gallon, and we shot up really quickly to $5 almost on the nose at a national average, and we've been almost as quickly going back lower on prices. So that forecast got resolved as a no. So you have to check your expectations. I'll tell you, Brent, what I learned is for myself in the always learning section of this, I ratcheted my forecast up about once a week when prices were going higher. And then they started coming down. I didn't update my forecast. I think part of it because the data wasn't just being reminded me of it. Everybody wasn't talking about it. Everybody wasn't writing articles about it. But I could have updated my forecast quicker on the way down. Well, 100% agree with you on that because I did the same thing. And it just reminds me that, you know, we're much more aware when things are giving us a lot of pain or a lot of joy on the prices. And the gas price declines have been pretty dramatic, but you don't notice it as much. And I certainly, I don't know that I could, I bought gas last night and I'm not sure I can tell you, I think I could get within 30 cents a gallon of what I paid. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you should set 40 cents as the bound, but when it was going up, hitting close to $5, I knew. So you were talking about it. You were telling everybody, you were texting people. I paid this much for a gallon of gas. Yeah. 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 It's still it's pretty high, I think, you know, in the grand scheme of things. But, you know, that chart would suggest we're getting kind of back to more of a sustainable level. I think the other thing to keep in mind is we hit all-time nominal highs, $5 a gallon. $4 had been the high water mark. But when we adjust those $4 prices back in 08 for inflation, it's more like five twenty-five. So that's how we got that five twenty-five threshold for the forecast network question. It, would this be kind of an all-time inflation-adjusted high? And so we've came back down from that. But in fact, we spent a lot of time between January of 2011 through really most of 2014 between this four to five dollar a gallon window, which is in 2022 dollars, and we've slipped back below that. So I think that's a you know we've kind of hopefully, right, this era of high gas prices was short-lived and and behind us, but we'll see what happens. But we are departing sort of those historic highs at this point. The second thing I want to chat a little bit about is I wrote an article thinking about, you know, China's buying a lot of corn, has been buying a lot of corn, a lot of beef. Is this sort of a new source of demand or is it just sort of how does it fit into the bigger picture? How should we think about that? So one of the things that we looked at is all corn exports from the U.S. by destination. What stood out to me is for 2021, the calendar year, we're getting, we tied or essentially tied the previous high back in 2018. And that's with China's sort of big purchases. And what's happened really over the last three or four years is that all other countries, so not Japan, not Mexico, not China, has really dropped off on their export purchases. They're down quite a bit. And then China came in and kind of, bought the offset. And 
so part of this could be sort of some substitution of China displacing other global buyers. But if you really look at 2019, you know, we had a pretty poor export year and China wasn't buying, but also all those other countries weren't buying as well. So I think it's just helping people think about this China story and how this might fit in. It's maybe not as big of a new demand story as we might initially hope. Yeah. The other thing that just strikes me when I see that chart without having to think about it too much is that the last time corn prices got high, we saw a tremendous decline in exports. So think 12, 13, and not surprising, we didn't have much corn to export. So you saw them shrink. A little bit of a different story here. We've got strong exports. We've still got corn to export, but prices are really high. So um, it will be interesting to see how that evolves. If we don't have the corn to export, how much higher prices could go to create that same kind of rationing that occurred in 12 and 13. And of course, we may not find out. I mean, we might have adequate so we can keep ex- exporting what we are. But you know, the last time we got really tight on stocks, you know, it would suggest that there's probably a lot of upside on prices if uh, we do get tight. And that's a big if. Yeah, I think, Brent, kind of quick numbers here. Exports dropped by about half from about 2 billion bushels before that 2012 13 dry low production years down to around a billion or slightly less than a billion. Then it became back to about that 2 billion mark again on the other side of that. The other thing that was interesting to look at is a larger and growing share of global corn production is being tied or linked to exports. So if you go back to, say, 2000 to 2010, 10 to 12% of global corn production was exported. Now that's for the 21 marketing year that's just closed, it exceeded 16%. It was an all-time high. So you know, this global trade story for corn is picking up. It's shifting gears here in the last, you know, decade. And China's really kind of, those purchases fit in as part of that upward trend over time. So keep that in mind as well. Mm-hmm. So Brent, I'll kick it over to you thinking about what uh, forecast network questions or what issues that you've been thinking about. Well, of course, we have a really big crop report coming out. So I think there's a lot of attention going to be paid in the next few days to what is likely to happen with that crop report. And so that's one of them. And I don't know where you're at on yield, David. I think my forecast is that, you know, we're likely to come in below the last estimate, which was 175.4 in this new report. How much though, I think is the bigger question. Of course, the other thing to remember is that if it were to happen to not, it would be a real surprise for the market. I mean, our yes, consensus so- in the network is pretty low, like 25% chance, and I'm even below that. It's interesting because I started closer to 50-50 for this because I'm trying to keep myself from perpetuating my thinking about, oh, it's going to go lower, it's going to go lower. Uh, and Jeff wrote some articles saying that, if you go check those out, that, you know, the USDA might actually revise it upward more than downward. So there's like a 60% chance of it going higher, historically speaking, in September versus August. So if you know absolutely nothing about it, but I will admit when I saw the trade range that was 
completely below. So the entire range of trade expectations was below the previous estimate of 175.4. I did adjust my forecast a little bit lower. So we'll see how that plays out. For soybeans, I guess I'm a little closer to maximum uncertainty. I'm at a 50% chance for that one. So yeah, and, the consensus uh, is much lower. Yeah, I, I think... Uh... I think everybody's struggling trying to figure out the soybeans. I'm at 40%, so a little bit higher than consensus, not quite as high as you. But the soybeans seem to be the real wild card right now. And I guess we'll just have to wait and see. A lot of uncertainty out there on both of these yields. So if I remember reading your articles correctly, there's a lot of uncertainty on both of them yet to be resolved. Yeah, especially on soybeans. The August WASDE estimate or August production estimate is basically not any better from a historic standpoint than just using a linear trend line. We get better in September, much better in October, but yeah, it's, it's wide open at this point. I think that's an important point to remember on all of these is just how much we tend to start to think that, oh, we're zeroing in on it. And the data would suggest that there's still a lot of uncertainty left. Yeah, we're zeroing in, but we're still a long ways away from zero, I guess. I think for corn, there's historically, there's been a several years where we've moved from 10 bushels from where we are to in August to the final. Either way, uh, higher or lower, the markets would be much different if we had a 10 bushel adjustment from August. It's multiple years of even five bushel changes. That would even be a big change. So I think we need to really watch out for those and keep those in mind. So Brent, I want to kick this over to you one last time here for an idea that we've been thinking about a lot called, you know, this idea of a fragile game. So I'll let you just sort of talk through a little bit about what you're thinking about and how, why it's important for our thinking. Well, it started, we were doing a webinar the other day and we had a question and said, okay, let's say you flip a quarter and if it lands on tails, you lose 10 bucks. If it lands on heads, you win. How much would you pay to play this game? And we kind of debated this a little bit and, you know, some of you might say, well, you know, if I win $11, man, I'm going to play that because I got a 50% chance of winning. That'd be 11. If I lose, it's 10. So I've got at least a, you know, my expected value is 50 cents in that deal. And so we kind of debated and some people were, you know, a lot higher and might have to win $20. Some people, but at the end of the day, the interesting thing about that game is this is what Talib would call potentially fragile game because if you have to play that game over and over and over again and you consistently bet you know a proportion of your wealth say 40 50 percent of your wealth on each flip you'll eventually go broke playing that and it's kind of counterintuitive but it's an interesting idea and i've always found that his writing is very difficult i think to understand and i've frankly avoided reading much of it but this idea kind of got me thinking a lot and then what it got me thinking about is all these extreme outcomes that we seem to be having on a regular basis just in my life like uh, we seem to be hitting you know climate extremes on a regular basis and so you start to wonder you know how many of these fragile games I play am I adequately insured on all of this kind of stuff and what are some things we can do to make our business more resilient and robust for 
you know, these extreme outcomes that we continually get. And so I, I think it's worth thinking about going forward is, you know, even today with crop prices, what's the most, you know, right now on what you think is the most, the bounds that you think will capture, say, the harvest or the corn price that it closes on in January. And my guess is that a lot of us will underestimate the range. It may work out, falls right in that range, but I just feel like there's a lot of potential uncertainty either way. Could be spectacularly higher and it could be a lot lower. And and I think that range is very wide right now. Brent, to get just a little nerdy, one time I played this game in a setting and they asked us 10 questions. They said, set a 90% confidence interval on these guesses you're making for different issues. And so if you have a 90% confidence interval, you should only miss one of the 10 questions. So if, to build off your example of what's the price of corn going to be like at the end of January, set a 90% confidence interval, you should only be wrong once or once and a half in a calendar year if you do that every month. But it, in my reality, I was wrong like 50% of the time. <laughs> and so it's just this idea that I don't fully appreciate the range of possible outcomes. And even whenever you try to be specific about the range, 90% accurate, you'll still be way less accurate than that. I think the other thing that's really interesting about this fragile game example you mentioned is I was one who was going to be willing to accept a really low. I'd play the game for a really small win. I think I made a joke like I'd do it for anything over 1025 or $10.10 because the expected value is positive. So that's sort of the size of the return is important. And I was saying, hey, I'd be willing to play this because it's a positive return. But what this uh, fragile game reminds us of is also the size of the wager. And so it depends on how much, how big you can win, but also how much of your equity or how much of your net worth you're actually pushing into the table to make that wager possible. Yeah. Yeah. That's the other thing that's interesting is that like, yeah, with a $10 bet or something, it's not really that risky, right? You're not going to probably go broke on betting it on $10. But if you extrapolate a little bit and you go, well, in your portfolio of whatever you have, whatever business you have, generally, if you see something like a 30% return, you, you want to go after it, right? And, uh, and you, you're betting a lot. And so that's kind of Taleb's point is that well, yeah, it seems like a good deal, but realize how much you're betting and make sure that, you know, you're doing things that mitigate against the big wipeout losses. All right. Well, we'll wrap it up there this week. Make sure you update your forecasts for the September WASD questions for the yield contest and get ready for the October questions because we'll launch those as soon as Monday's report gets dropped and we'll update the latest questions. So make sure you do that as well. That's all for this week. Until next time, stay curious. That would be an interesting game to play every month. Mm-hmm.